Well, good morning. It's a great privilege to be here this morning with you all and to be the pastor here and to proclaim the scripture. If you have your Bible, go ahead and grab those. Today we're reading John chapter 8, verses 48 through 59, and we, we unpacked John 8, 31 through 47 last week. And last week we saw, you know, the contrast between a true disciple and a false one. Between a true follower of Jesus Christ and a false one. We saw a false disciple of God does a few things. They put their faith in the past, they put their faith in men, and then they hear their father. But then a true follower of Christ does some other things as well. They remain in Christ, they are free from the chains of sin and death, which we've talked about a lot recently, and a true follower of God hears God. I mentioned last week that the one requirement of a true disciple of God is that we hear God speak. The reason I bring this up is because today we see a false disciple on full display. We see the Jewish nation arise and they defy God. They do not listen to Jesus and instead they listen to the father of this world and then they take certain actions that convince us that they are not followers of God. Notice in John chapter 8, verse 48, it says this, Then the Jews answered and said to Jesus, Do we not say rightfully that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Man, uh, Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me, but I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews then said, and now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, and the prophets also died. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will surely never taste death. What are they thinking about there as opposed to what Jesus is talking about? Verse 53, surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? What's the irony of that statement? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So then the Jews said to him, you are not fifty years old, yet you have seen Abraham? Jesus said, and truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out from the temple. Amen. This morning, I would like to talk just about the noise. The noise of life that influences our minds. And if you really... Think about it, the noise of life is just absolutely maddening. Notifications, texts, emails, to-do lists, calendars, ball games, haircuts, plans, vacation, conversations, Facebook, 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 Instagram, YouTube, TV, CNN, Fox News, music, QAnon, whatever that is. All of it is just absolutely maddening. Today I want to discuss the noise and influences in your life. And I brought with me this morning the noisiest and most obnoxious device in the world. 
They call it an iPhone. I can't step away for five minutes without being anxious to look at this thing. Can anybody relate to that? And okay, I got a couple of hands raised in the back. Okay, this thing is absolutely maddening because no matter where I go, the leash follows me. Every five minutes, it seems that I have a new notification, a new text, a new email, a new phone call, a new conversation, a new voicemail that I should check. And I think I have 28 voicemails that I still haven't checked on my phone. That is a sad thing to communicate to all of you. But the tug of war, the, the leash, the influences over our mind and heart do not just stop at, at, at iPhones, but go to TVs, radios, movies, bank accounts, schedules, and the list goes on and on and on. What I've noticed about these voices, about these influences that we have in our life, is that it can pull us away from hearing the most important voice of all. The loudening voice of the world can drown out the most important voice of God. So how can we turn the tide? How can we diminish the voices and influences of the world? And how can we turn up the volume on God? How can we turn off the volume of the world and its influences and turn up the volume and the voice of God in our lives? That is my question this morning. And that is our quest. If you have your Bible, turn it to John chapter 8. And in today's passage, we see a, a people group that is just captivated by the voice of the world, that is captivated by the voice of the enemy, and in order to turn off the voice of the world, we must first realize and understand reality. We must understand that there is more than just a physical world that we see, taste, and touch, but there is a spiritual world that is far more real and influential in our lives. And secondly, we must understand the symptoms or the voices of the world that impacts our relationship with God. Today we seek to answer the question, what are the symptoms of unhealthy influences in our life? And we see three in John chapter 8. We see three symptoms of unhealthy voices and unhealthy influences in our lives. And we see the first symptom of unhealthy voices in verse 48 through 50. Notice verse 48. The Jews then answered and said to Jesus, Do we not rightfully say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Pause. Who are they talking to? Okay? So wait a second. Do we not rightfully say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus says, I didn't have a demon, but I honor my God, my Father, and you dishonor me, but I do not seek my glory, there is one who seeks and judges. What are the Jewish nation, what are they doing here? It says in verse 49, or 40, yeah, 49 says, Jesus says, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. The Jews are dishonoring God. The word dishonor here is the Greek word hatimazo. Say that three times fast. Hatimazo. And it's in the present tense, which gives the idea of continuing action in the present. So they continually, ongoing, dishonor God and dishonor Jesus by all of their actions and words. But then notice how they dishonor Jesus. They dishonor Him by insulting Him. What do they call Him? They call Him first a Samaritan, and they second accuse Jesus of having a demon. 
Now, I'm going to unpack those insults in just a second, but what I want you to notice is I want you to, to notice the progression of this discourse. I want you to notice how the, how the discourse progresses from verse 12 all the way to verse 48. The, John chapter 8, verse 12 kind of begins this section of uh, this Feast of Booths discourse. And what does Jesus say in John chapter 8, verse 12? He says that I am the light of the world. Now, if you've been here for any length of time, then you, then you may remember what that really signifies. That Jesus, when Jesus says that he is the light of the world, it says three things. That ego ami, I, I am, that he is Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. Right, number one. Number two, that he is the pillar of fire. If you remember that, not only was he the pillar of fire in the desert, but he is the pillar of fire guiding all people who will believe in him out of the domain of darkness. And then number three, that Jesus is the light of the world, that he is the solution to sin. But instead of believing, what do most of the Jewish people do in this culture? They become progressively more and more and more angry. Notice in verse 13, what do the Pharisees do? The Pharisees question Jesus' integrity. They say Jesus' testimony is invalid. In verse 19, they question Jesus' integration. They question Jesus' relationship to the Father. Verse 22, they question Jesus' intention. Which Jesus has already told them before in John 7 where he plans to go. But there, now here in John chapter 8, verse 22, they question his intention. They say, well, maybe he's going to go kill himself. They mock him. They sarcastically say this. Verse 25, they question Jesus' identity. In verse 33 of chapter 8, they question Jesus' initial message. And Jesus answers all of these accusations. Now, allow me to ask you the question, if you're in an argument with somebody, if you're in a heated debate, okay, we, maybe with your spouse or with your child or with a coworker or with Fox News as you or CNN as you throw cups at it and you argue with people on there, whatever it is, okay, then let's just say you're in an argument and the person on the other side keeps winning that argument over and over again. What are you then tempted to do? You, instead of arguing further, you just start insulting them, okay? Has anybody else had this tendency that if you're losing an argument and you keep losing and keep losing and they continue to have answer after answer, you eventually just resort to insulting them? Am I the only one? I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, just a little bit too convicting in this room? Okay, but then notice here in John 8, 41 through 48, Jesus has answers for all of their rebuttals. And then what do they start doing? They start insulting Jesus. Verse 41, what do they call him? They call Jesus an illegitimate child. They tell Jesus he was born of fornication. That is sexual immorality. And then they insult him here in John 8, verse 48, by calling him a Samaritan now, some scholars believe that that is the worst insult they could have possibly given him. And then they accuse him, insult him by accusing him of having a demon. Now, how does Jesus respond to every accusation and every insult? He responds with patience, with love, and with truth. 
that Jesus time and time again, despite two and a half years to this point of saying the same broken record over and over again, and despite them insulting him, calling him an illegitimate child, accusing him of being a Samaritan, and accusing him of having a demon again and again and again, he shows love and patience and truth. Doesn't the Lord do the same for us? That when we make mistakes, that when we accuse the Lord, that when we question Him and His will and His perfection, doesn't God extend to us love and patience and truth time and time again? But what is really going on here in John chapter 8, verses 48 through 59? What, what's really, what, can we go behind the curtain, behind the veil? Because it's easy for us to only see the physical world. We only see their accusations. We only see their insults. We only see their disbelief. But there is so much more going on here than just their stubbornness. But there is a father in the world that is influencing their mind. There is a spiritual world that is far more real than the physical world that they experience and that we taste, smell, and touch. There is a spiritual world. Notice verses 43 through 47. This is where I'm getting this from. That there is more going on than just the physical world and this their stubbornness not to believe in Jesus. But there is a father, the devil, that is distracting them and that is convincing them that Jesus is not true. Notice verse 43. What did Jesus just get done saying? Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of the father, your father, the devil. And you do not, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? What is that? He, Jesus is perfect. They cannot throw any shade on him whatsoever. Verse 46 again, if I speak truth, why then do you not believe in me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them, because you are not of God. Based on verses 43 through 47, we see the reason why they continue to accuse, and they continue to insult, and they continue to reject Jesus as Messiah. There, there's three reasons, if you really want to go uh, theological. John 6, it says the Father has not drawn them. They do not believe because of their own free will, but also because of the spiritual world, because of Satan, quite literally, the father of lies, is convincing them that Jesus is not the Messiah, that Jesus is not the Christ. The voice of their father, Satan, the voice of a murderer and liar, was whispering into their ears to doubt Jesus despite, their, despite his perfection, and they dishonor him because of it. Friends, the work of the enemy has not stopped. That this is not just some enemy that they had 2,000 years ago in the nation of Israel, but the influence of the father of this world, this darkened world, the father of lies, continues to influence the world. And hear me out on this. The father of lies continues to whisper into the ears of believers to convince us of falsehood. What does the scripture say? 
John 4, 7 says this, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That even, even though we are bought with the precious blood of Christ, even though that we are redeemed, even though we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we still at times can be influenced by the father of this darkened world. So let's just realize really what's going on. I think sometimes we as Christians really only have a physical, earthly perspective. But there is a far greater reality that we cannot see, taste, or touch. There is a spiritual world that continues to influence our minds and our hearts. Let's just admit it. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. John 4, chapter, uh, John, James chapter 4, verse 7. What is the symptom of a wrong voice? What is the symptom of a, a voice that influences us from the world? Symptom number one of a wrong voice is anything that dishonors God. Anything that dishonors God is not of God. Any voice, any information, anything of the world that causes doubt, that defames the name of God, that draws down God's love, any voice that counters the very character of God is not from God. This week, I was uh, my preparation day has moved from Thursday to Wednesday, and Wednesday of this week, I uh, just kind of took a step back from the table where I was. I was at Little Rosie's preparing this, enjoying a uh, Sergio Super Taco, okay? And uh, I was sitting there at Little Rosie's, and I just kind of paused at this moment where, I, you know, when I said that the symptoms of a wrong influence in my life is anything that dishonors the Lord. And then I just kind of sat back and I said, I asked God a question. I said, Lord, what is something, what is a voice? What is the influence in my life that dishonors you? And then he just said, you know. <laughs> okay. But maybe we should ask the same question. Friends, the enemy has blinded us so much to the things in our lives that we just do not see anymore. What I've noticed about sin in life is that we kind of just let it hang around. And if we let sin and influences and temptation kind of hang around in our mind, that temptation and sin slowly grows a stronghold and sets up camp. And eventually... We just get used to the sin or temptation or doubt in our life until we are completely blind to its effects. Let's just take a step back from the table. Let's just, let's just see our lives. If you could take your life and just put it in the hollow of your hand, just ask the Lord, Lord, what is one influence, what is one voice in my life that dishonors you? And I believe that when we come to the Lord, He'll say something like that to you. You know. You, just, just think about it. Just look at your own life. What is something in your life that dishonors the Lord? Anything that dishonors God is not from the Lord. But then notice the second symptom of a wrong influence in our life. Anything that dishonors God. And then notice the second symptom of a wrong voice. Verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. What is Jesus talking about there? Is he talking about physical death or spiritual death? Verse 52. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon, and Abraham died, and the prophets also. And you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. 
Whom do you make yourself out to be? Wait, what has he said so far? Wait, now I'm God, is what Jesus probably wants to say here. And he says it here in a few moments. Verse 54. Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God, and you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. What are the Jewish people doing here? They disagree with truth. Because what is the truth? That those who believe in Jesus will not experience spiritual death, right? That, that, that's what Jesus is referring to in verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. That Jesus is not referring to, in verses 51 through 57, physical death. We all die. That is a consequence of sin. All human beings die, except for the couple that are mentioned in the Scripture itself. But if those who believe in Jesus Christ, Jesus is true, if we are believers, that we will never spiritually die. As a result of sin, all people physically die. But as a result of Christ and faith in Him, those who believe in Him will never spiritually die. We will not experience the second death. And that is what Jesus means in verses 51 through 57. But then notice the proof that they offer, that, that, that they're right, and that Jesus is wrong. Notice verse 52. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Jesus, Abraham died, and the prophets also died. And you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Once again, what's the problem here? They are so captivated by the physical world that they cannot see the greater reality. That they are so consumed, they think that Jesus is talking about physical death. And yes, we all physically die. That is true. And Jesus knew that. Jesus has not been, think about John 7 and 8. Jesus has not talked about the physical world hardly at all. Almost all of his content in this discourse has been the spiritual world that Jesus goes to his father. He's not talking about his earthly father. He's talking about his heavenly father. But they still can't get their mind around it. That they're so blinded by the father of lies that they cannot see the spiritual world that is blinding them to the truth. What are the three symptoms of the wrong influences in our lives? Symptom number one is anything that dishonors God, anything that disagrees with truth. But how can we... The question is, okay, if a symptom of a wrong voice is that it would disagree with truth, so then what's the next question? Right? How can we know if something disagrees with truth? By knowing the truth, right? The only way to truly know if something disagrees with the truth is by knowing what the Scripture actually says. To take the Scripture and actually compare it to what we hear and to what we read in our culture at large. But I'm going to hop on a soapbox. Okay. I'm going to hop on a soapbox for just a few moments, and I want to talk about Christians. That we as Christians at times can be enticed by the world and by the enemy, and slowly we can slip into listening to the influences of this darkened world. What I've noticed in Christian life is that we as Christians, we typically disagree with truth in three main ways. We disagree with truth in three main ways. Number one, we disagree with truth because of apathy. 
because of apathy. That when the enemy has a stronghold in our life, when the enemy, when the flesh, and when the world sets up camp in our minds and our hearts, we can at times grow apathetic to sin. Has anybody else noticed that? I've known many, many Christians that just have this defeated mindset that because they can't kick this or can't kick that or because they struggle with this and struggle with that, then they just kind of become defeated and apathetic. And then they disagree with truth, with God's truth, that they are free from the chains of sin and death, that they have won through Christ Jesus, and they just kind of become apathetic to obeying the Scripture itself. But then I notice two other forms of disagreeing with truth that Christians struggle with. One is apathy, and number two is by apologizing for the Bible. Apologizing for the Bible. I notice that in our culture that is becoming uh, progressively more and more and more politically correct, that we are beginning to apologize for what the Bible says. Instead of just standing on the truth. Instead of just being bold, we just apologize. Well, the Bible doesn't really mean that. It doesn't really mean that marriage is between a man and a woman. It doesn't, the Bible doesn't really say anything about abortion. The Bible doesn't talk about life. That means that God is a God of love, so He understands. We apologize for the Bible, that we are so afraid of offending people with the Bible, that we, before we even talk about it, that we apologize for its offensiveness. But the Bible is offensive. It's offensive. Let's not apologize for it. Let's be dogmatic. Let's just tell it like it is. Because the Bible is true. Think about it this way. The Bible is offensive, and it should be, because it's written by a perfect God to imperfect people. Let's not apologize. Let's speak the truth with boldness. Let us not as Christians disagree with truth because it's politically incorrect. Let's just be dogmatic. Let's be bold. There's a, there's a, one of my heroes in the faith. This is this guy named Avadi Bakum. He's this, he's a guy on YouTube and he's this gigantic black man and he's just, he's just huge and he's just, Really deep voice, okay? And he's super dogmatic. He's like so blunt, it makes you cringe, right? You ever know those people that say, ooh, okay. Uh, that's Body Bakum. And this guy, this town hall meeting, this guy gets up and this, with all these people, and he asks Body a question. He's, he basically asks, okay, if my wife feels that she has the passion to be a pastor, why can't he be? Why, can, why can't she be? And then Body quotes 1 Timothy 2.12, and he says, um, because the Bible says so. <laughs> I just, oh. That's right. Friends, listen. I hope that in this church, that we would stand on the truth. That we would not have to feel pressure to apologize for it. But eventually... The pressure from our culture, the pressure from Washington is going to get to the point where Christians start to bend and to break under the weight of apologizing for the Bible. And then Christians will eventually just start saying something like this. Well, we're just going to preach the gospel. 
We're just going to preach the God. We're not going to talk about Romans 1. We're not going to talk about the real offensive stuff in 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're just going to preach the gospel. What's the problem? The gospel is offensive too. <laughs> that you and I are sinners is offensive. That there is one path to heaven, that's offensive. Friends, let us not disagree with truth. Let us proclaim truth. Let us not become apathetic to the truth, to the sin in our life. Let us not apologize for the truth. But let us also, number three, not, let us not swing to the other side of the spectrum. Sometimes we as Christians become, can become so fearful and so terrified of this people cratering that we then swing to the opposite side of the coin and then we add things to the scripture. We add truth. Have you ever noticed that? We call that something called legalism. That Christians are so reactive to the fear of the world that they then swing to the other side of the bank and then they make up things that the Bible doesn't say. Like the Bible is against contemporary worship or that drums are evil or that preachers have to wear suits or that if men have hair that touches their ears, which I don't have that problem, okay, just check it, is, is evil. Wait a second, that's adding to the truth. That's disagreeing with the Bible also. Friends, let us know what the Bible says. Let us be bold to proclaim it. Let us not hide behind political correctness. Let us just speak it. Let us just live it. Let us not add things to it. And let us not be apathetic to the sin that is in our life. Symptom number one of the wrong influence in our life is anything that dishonors God. Number two, anything that disagrees with truth. And then notice the third symptom in verses 57 through 59. And this is when the Jewish nation proves once and for all that they belong to the father of lies. Verse 57. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old and have seen Abraham and Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. How can we tell, once and for all, the Jewish nation does not believe in Jesus or in God, that they are trapped under the weight of the father of lies? They pick up stones to kill Jesus, or symptom number three, they defy God. They defy God. And notice what Jesus says here in verse 58. Don't miss it. It says, before Abraham was born, I am. What, is, what does that mean? In the original language, that is the two Greek words, ego eimi, means I, I am, that Jesus is proclaiming to be who, that he is proclaiming to be Yahweh. He said this uh, several times. He said it to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. He said it in John 6 that I am the bread of life. He said it earlier in John 8 that he is the light of the world. And then here he says... I am, that he is Yahweh. Now, there, there are some scholars, there are some preachers that believe that Jesus has never, Jesus never proclaimed to be God. But clearly they didn't read John 8, verse 59, because how did the Jewish nation interpret that? What do they do? Therefore, they pick up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They know full well what Jesus is proclaiming here in John 8. They know that Jesus is proclaiming to be God. And in their attempts at only seeing the physical world, in their deception, 
and their attempt at self-righteousness. They are trying to abide by Old Testament law to stone a prophet that blasphemes, but Jesus is not blaspheming because he is who he says he is. Jesus claims to be God, he proves to be God, and he is God. Jesus claims to be God in John 4.26, John 5.18, John 6.35, John 8.12, and here in John chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus proves to be God by miracles, by his perfection. Who of you cast a sin upon me? By his perfection, by the witnesses of John the Baptist, and by fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies in Isaiah 58. Jesus claims to be God, he proves to be God, and he is God. I am. He is Yahweh, or they would say Jehovah. The symptoms of a wrong voice are influencing influences in our life, or dis- anything that dishonors God, disagrees with God's truth, or that defies the Lord. As I did this week, I would encourage you to look at your life, just to take a step back from the table. And just look at it holistically. And go to the Lord and ask, Lord, is there anything in my life that dishonors you? Is there anything that I believe that disagrees with your truth? And is there anything in my life that openly defies who you are? Today, my point and my purpose is for us to turn up the volume on the voice of God and turn down the volume of the influences of the world. To hear God more and it shut off the volume of the world that we so easily run to. So if the wrong voices are those that dishonor God, disagree with God's truth, and defy God, then what, are the right, what does God's voice sound like? What, what are the right things to believe? Well, it's the complete opposite. Number one, that anything that honors God is of God, anything that agrees with God's truth, and anything that leads to obedience. As I've mentioned, my point, my purpose is for us to turn up the volume on God's voice and to turn off the volume of any wrong influences we have in our life. And I'm sure if we are truly honest and open that we will find plenty. If you come to me in the hallway and you say that you don't have any wrong influences in your life, we'll we'll have a conversation, okay? You'll, You'll be seeing me in my office like the principal at school. Okay. But what I want you to do is, I want you to, for my application, the question is really, so what? How do we apply this to my, our lives? My first question for us this morning is quite simple. is Where in my life do I hear God's voice? Where in my life do I hear God's voice? What is a group, a devotion, a time during the day that I listen to God's word, others in a spirit, and allow God to speak to me? And then the, the million dollar question is, okay, Byron, how does, how does God really speak to us? I talked about this a little bit more last week, but I'm going to just kind of give uh, one specific example that I believe that God speaks to us most prevalently and most clearly through his word. The other ways that God can speak to us it can be thwarted, can be shady, but I believe that God speaks to us primarily through his word. And I'm just going to let you, invite you into Byron's personal life. One of the things that I have done in my personal devotional life to hear God's voice and to have his scripture speak to me is that I have uh, been journaling for years. And I'm, I'm going to pull out more than this. Okay, this is, I found these in my...
garage. Okay, these are all of my old journals and notebooks that I've had since I was a very young man. And this is my most recent one. What I do is I just go to the Lord when I have a devotion, and then I just journal. I, really what journaling is, it's not this, it's not dear diary, okay, it's not that. It, journaling is just writing a prayer to the Lord. Say, Lord, this is my struggle, this is my sin, this is, this is what I'm confused about. And you just write it out. There are pages and pages and pages and pages. I mean, look at this. This is maddening. I picked this up. This is not even all of them, okay? This is crazy. These books are just full of journals. That's all they are. Just simply written prayers to God. And then what I do is then I just go to the scripture very expectantly for the Lord to speak to me. For example, if I go to the Lord and I just talk about how I'm anxious and I'm stressed out. And then as I'm reading the scripture, I go to Psalm 55 verse 22 which says, Cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. I take that to say, okay, Lord, you're telling me in the midst of all of my stress and all my anxiety to cast it upon you. That is how the Lord speaks to me through the scripture. I journal a prayer and then I read the Bible expectantly, asking for an answer to all of my prayers. But then number two question is what I've already shared with you today is question number two is what is a wrong voice in our in your life? What is a doubt that you have swirling around in your mind? Who, who is a friend that is pulling you down? What is a book that may be tugging on your heart away from the Lord? What is a truth that you have difficulty accepting? Turn up the volume on God and turn down and off the volume of all the voices and influences of this world. I would encourage you this week as you go to answer those two questions. Very sincerely. You can journal if you wish to. Just write it out. Talk to the Lord about it. If you uh, do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning, just very briefly, is this to share the truth of the gospel? that you and I are sinners and that there is only one way to heaven, despite what the culture tells you, despite what you may have heard in, in, the, in the news or in the hallways of your school, that there is one way to heaven. Period. That Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. That one way is by faith in Jesus Christ. And if you would believe in him, that you will be saved. If you could take your life and stretch it out on a string, is there a time in your life that you've ever surrendered to the Lord? If you've never had that moment, then this morning we offer it to you. You do not have to do it this morning. You could take it home with you. But here in just a moment, we'll have a couple of prayer partners up forward. And if you would like to talk with somebody about Jesus Christ, if you would like somebody to pray for you or to minister to you, we have Harold and Pat this morning that will be up front during the last song. If you never believe in Jesus Christ, believe in him and you shall be saved. Bow with me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. We, we all uh, have voices and influences in our life that is detracting us from following and, to, and loving you the way we should. And Lord, I, I do not say that out of a, an attempt of a shame or guilting anybody into anything. That's just the truth. 
And Lord, I just pray that we would be bold with the truth, that we would accept the truth. And Lord, that we would, we would know that you are not a God that's, that's uh, throwing fireballs at our face of shame and guilt. But Lord, that you're a God of love that has already paid for that sin on the cross and has already given us freedom from it. Lord, I pray that we would just see our lives and we would come to you and ask for forgiveness. And Lord, that we would follow you, that we would hear you speak to us through your word through your spirit, through others, and through our circumstances. Lord, I just pray for that. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for all those that are tuning in online. I thank you for the faithfulness of the people here at Calvary Bible Church. I thank you for their love for you. Give us continued love for one another. And Lord, I pray that all we say would be bold and according to your scripture. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.